A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to this week's episode of The Nero Show. In today's episode... Is the endurance bike dead or does it still have a place in the market? What's going on with some of the biggest cycling YouTube creators? Why have their channels died? Justin Williams receives another ban from racing for 60 days. What are our thoughts on the situation? Wax changed the Sydney Marathon and when is the best time to take a caffeine gel? All right, let's get into it. So are endurance bikes back, Jesse, mm. or did they ever leave? I don't mm. know. Uh yeah, a couple of big releases uh, over the last couple of weeks. And I don't know, I thought we might talk about it because this is kind of the category of the bike that has copped a bit uh, in comment sections on general chat for us some, some time now. So what's come out? What might be changing our opinions? Yeah, the two big ones was the Giant Defy update mm. and the Specialized Roubaix update. Both of them came out last week. And they still trying to find w- out what they are. I don't think the endurance bike has ever been in a worse place than it is right now. Not necessarily because of the bike, just because of where it sits in the in the lineup of bikes now. It does not know what the hell it's doing. See that that's the. I feel like that's the easy answer. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, because tyres are bigger now on race bikes, so therefore they're more comfortable. And, oh, gravel bikes are kind of – I made an entire literally video. literally what I was just about to say. Yeah, but they are. <laughs> like I made yeah. a video about that like probably six months ago. Like is the endurance bike dead? And I just hit all those trigger points. Mm-hmm. And okay. if you look, at a da- a da- bleh, you look at a Dave Arthur video where he even mentions the endurance bike category, the comment section just fires up with, oh, this is all overpriced now. I remember back in the day when – Insert endurance uh, bike here, okay. yeah. and it goes down that sort of route. So, mm. um, okay, well, let me. I guess then let's let's go this way. Then I'm in the the endurance bikes are dead as for all the reasons you've just mentioned. Like, sell it to me. What are you seeing? So, justify someone buying an endurance bike in 2024. Where? What's the purpose? Okay, well, I think the. The giant defy. This is just Chris Miller defending the bike, the bike industry. <laughs> Did you put me on the spot here? Uh, this is when we take sides. No. Um, so, all right. Let's let's say the let's use the giant defy as an example of this. It's got a range of twelve thousand dollar top end, high end carbon builds, all the way down to sort of four or five thousand dollar builds. Different different degrees of components, different degrees of carbon. But what's staying the same across that whole range is the geometry thing. And this this is where I think the whole thing gets over. This is my pushback to you is 
the big difference between the endurance bike and the race bike is still the geometry. And by that, I do mean shorter reach, um, more relaxed fits, and but could still be put on a a road bike. And I think the giant Defy is doing that without any gimmicks. And I think that's the other key point here because I think we went through this phase with endurance bikes where we did, we had gimmicks. Now they're still on something like the Roubaix. I know we've got that future shock thing that both of us giggle at. I think the Demane. Oh, I don't giggle at the f- future shock. Okay. Because uh, I've got an SWX Diverge. I, I think for what it does, the future shock is is good. So, yeah, I, I don't giggle at it. Just not for an in- – I wouldn't say for an endurance bike that I would be recommending someone buy. I don't think it fits for the for the Diverge. It's it's awesome. But yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I think the Demane has something like that as well. Like it has some sort of rear sort of suspension-y type thing, which it gets overshadowed a lot of the time. But the geometry matters. It really does matter. And Right. Okay. We talk about this type of bike a lot, the Bobo bike, right, which is yep. the the club rider on the weekend doing their three or four hours. It has hills, bumpy roads, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. This is what the endurance bike's invented for. That person shouldn't be on a System 6. They should be on a Defy. Yes, but so that's what I thought too because I thought I'd, I'd want a Defy. I don't have a Bobo bike, so Defy would probably be good for me. But then you come back to the argument of, well, if a TCR can fit 32 millimeter tires on the disc version, and if you want the more relaxed geometry, you run a few spaces, run a bit of a shorter stem, aren't you getting to the same place, similar place without the need for the bike? Because the wider tires negate the need for the more compliant frame, which was the selling point back in rim brake days was you get the endurance bike and because the frame's more compliant, it's a lot more comfortable. But now with the wider tyres, as you said, as one of the main points that come up, but that's because it's true because we got the wider tyres, less need for the frame compliance for a road endurance bike that you end up going, well, I can probably get into a similar position on a TCR, similar tyre clearance. You know what I it's, it's mean? It's a bit of a tougher sell, I would say, in 2024 than it was five years ago. All right, fair point. Um, again, this is Chris trying to defend the bike industry, but let's let's actually go into the numbers, all right? So Giant TCR Advanced versus the Giant Defy Advanced in a medium, large sizing, okay? Now, the, the TCR is 12 mil longer. This is in a medium, large. 12 mil longer, okay? We can get around that, obviously, with, with um, stem lengths. It's 24 mil lower, the TCR. So... I hear what you're saying, but once you start going into the 24 mil of spacer, you really are changing the dynamic of the bike. The bike's not designed to be to ridden like that. And that's only talking about the front end. We've got sort of things to talk about with the rear end. There is additional, and I know we're playing with super, super wide tires across both these bikes, but you are still looking at a longer wheelbase on the, the Defy, which is going to make it a, a smoother ride. So I don't know. I still feel like... If we, if I just drill down on the the geometry, that there is there is still a defence for it. Now, the the argument has always well hasn't always been, but has been recently that these endurance bikes are shit. They are kind of crapper versions of the race bike, and they're not actually genuinely different. And I the the reason I wanted to talk a little bit about this category today is because I felt like the Defy was 
was potentially a new breed of this, where this is not a shit bike. This is a good bike with different geometry. Mm -hmm. Yep, I can see that. They did uh, quite a good video on the giant YouTube channel. I think it was about five-minute overview, uh, just going through all the features, weight, and things like that. And they did throw a few shots at the uh, other brands that do the gimmicky things. They literally called it out. They said, we have this light frame, which is compliant without the gimmicks. So they haven't held back on the selling point of the frame, which I think the thought was interesting. Usually you don't see brands specifically going after the features of other brands, but they just came out and went for it. Which- what do you reckon the tipping point is for someone considering this bike? So if, if you had someone you're coaching, and probably that's already the wrong person, but let, let's say it's, it's someone who's come to you, they're saying, oh, Jesse, I'm just, I'm kept, whatever, coming to the coaching, I want to get a new bike, here are my... Here's my intended use for it. Where do you reckon the tipping point is? I, at least in Australia, for most of the things I'm thinking of, there's more of a place for the Defy than the new Roubaix because the Roubaix appears to have gone the I'm almost a gravel bike route with all the mounting points, with the future shock. The Defy has gone what we've been talking about here, which is I'm the more relaxed, more compliant version of the race bike so two different angles but i would say i could feel more of a reason to get a defy than i would feel to get the new roubaix because by the time you get in the roubaix you just get a diverge what about what about giant versus the tcr or propel what about when when that same person's on the yeah the boundary of that because i I still firmly do believe and i hand this i want to hand this to you but i still firmly believe that there is a performance advantage to a certain for a certain person on a defy well for the okay if if someone's not racing or doing a quasi race paced club ride group ride that sort of thing i think they probably would be better suited to diverge because they're probably going to be running their tcr with spaces anyway and they're just going to benefit from the slight more bit of comfort. So I don't really see any reason why someone not doing the raced pace riding to get a, a TCR over a, over a Defy. What about a Fondo rider? So someone who's they're – not, they're not trying to set a time as such, but they still, they're coming to you to be coached, so they want to actually do a good ride. Is every single one of those people better off on a TCR? On a TCR? Yeah. Oh, I think a fair lot of them would be better off on a Defy. Yes. It depends on yeah. their bike fit. Yeah. That would usually not mm. – I probably wouldn't recommend it to them. It would be more, well, what's your bike fit? Because most people most people these days have a, had a bike fit and you can get your exact measurements and say, okay, well, what geometry frame am I going to be best suited on? And for most people, if they're not doing the racing, they're going to be better suited to the, the geometry of the Defy. So get the Defy. Especially now that it's not that heavy – I mean, actually, that's not fair because the Defy has been pretty competitive weight-wise for the. Remember, I can remember the old school Defy, which was looked like a TCR but with a thicker seat post, had that sort of cut in around the, the seat tube junction. Um, that was that was a competitive bike for for ages. So I don't know. I don't think we're necessarily being fair to the Defy, but I, I yeah. The bike fit thing is funny though because I still reckon ninety percent of people get the bike and then go to the bike fitter and say. Fit me onto Fit this. Me. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's not like, I mean, I don't know, I know um, obviously Tom at Embassy do, tries to do it differently where they direct the person to the bike. But, yeah, it's, it's – uh, but I, I still – I mean, 
I suppose I've got to put my money where my mouth is if I actually believe this. But see, okay, I sounds arrogant, but I don't think the Defy is the best bike for me. Like I don't think I for what I want to do, it's the right bike for so me. No, it's totally not. No, yeah. no, I'm with you. Yeah, but it doesn't matter what the it doesn't. You, I can say go and look at your bike fits uh, measurements and what's the most suitable geometry for you, but that doesn't matter because people don't want to ride the endurance bike. Even the person that it's suited for, when they're buying the bike, they want the they want the race bike. Even if they don't do anything that's above forty k an hour, they don't care. They want the TCR. Like, I'm not sixty years old. I'm not getting a Defy. Fuck that. I'm so happy you went that route, right? So this is this is my actual ultimate pushback. Is everyone will love this? I feel we as customers have killed the endurance bike, <laughs> right? For just that reason, yeah. because for the last two decades. We have been voting with our, you know what, I'm getting the race bike. And I, I actually know this because I'm talking to some brands people, this was a couple of years ago at Tour Down Under, and they were saying that in their marketing and stuff for endurance bikes, you couldn't mention the word endurance because that would just kill your sales. You couldn't even mention comfort because that would just kill your sales. So if you look at the modern endurance bike category online like if you go on here now right so if you go to the giant website and you go to the giant defy page it's all about performance look it just looks slick and fast and performancey if you go to the endurance so that's i suppose their their sort of endurance well yeah endurance it's all the fastest endurance bike we've ever made world tour inspired performance it's just words that make you think this is not a bike for a six-year-old. You're a hitter on this kind of thing. So they've just totally had to go this route to convince anyone. What's actually specialized marketing for it actually didn't go on to there? Well, they've played into it because I watched the Dave Arthur video with the product manager on, and he's talking about how they've reamped the frame for the aerodynamics. So that, yeah, and weight as well. We didn't have the rear suspension thing that we do on the Diverge because it's it's not as aero and it's a bit heavier. So that it's all it's all perceived performance speed related talking points that they're going for. I mean, the aerodynamics of a rear shock on an endurance, like, come on. You're, you said in the SL8, the back end of the bike doesn't matter. So they're obviously saying stuff just because that's, they, they don't want it to sound like a grandpa bike. So I, I don't know. I kind of feel like potentially this could be the first sort of hit out back towards a bit of normality in this space. And but look at the Defy. I think that looks. Yeah, well, you said it to it, me. Um, that looks like a race bike. It looks incredible. You said it to me the other day. You're like, I could see myself on a yeah. Defy. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. I totally ride one. Yep. It looks, so even just in looks, it doesn't look like a grandpa bike. The thing with the Roubaix, though, the Future Shock, it's a hard one because even just, I, I know you can, I'm almost certain on the updated ones, I can't lock mine out, so it's constantly got that spring in us. I think on the new ones you can just lock them out. But just the look of that you would feel out of place rocking up to a bunch ride on that. So it is more gravel bike territory, which I'm struggling to understand Yeah, how the use case of that. But this, I would rock up to a bunch ride on a Defy, on the new Defy. It looks, yeah, looks looks like that. But it's interesting to see the different angles that the, the brands are taking with it. I mean, I know with the, the Chapter 2 things, I mean, they are essentially endurance bike geometry bikes, especially the, the TOA. If you go onto their website, it's still sprouting the aerodynamics of it. They're still saying this is a, this is the race bike, et cetera, et cetera. But as, but as soon as you actually dive a little bit into the details of 
of not the carbon as such, which is still top quality, but the actual geometry, it's an endurance bike. And an endurance bike for probably a lot of people. So I don't know. I, I kind of feel like maybe, maybe it's just a language thing that we've got to be less scared of the, the E word. Yeah, let us know your thoughts on that one, guys. Be interested to know. Have, have we, the customer, killed the endurance bike? Right, I wasn't that keen to talk about this, but I think the reaction to it's been sort of interesting and maybe mm-hmm. maybe it brings up another question we can talk about. But, yeah, uh, do you want to go into the details of this? So this is this is Justin Williams, right? Yeah, so Justin Williams, um, he was involved in an, another incident in a criterium where he, he uh, well, he's been handed a 60-day ban for dangerous riding. We had a bit of a bar-to-bar sort of thing with another rider and then into a corner it looks like he just – Rode him fully um, on the outside of the corner into the gutter, and they and the other rider crashed. So he's been handed sixty day ban and a two hundred and fifty dollar fine, and, and actually so did the other the other guy that he was in the crash with also got a two hundred and fifty dollar fine. But the suspension begins next year, April thirteenth, twenty twenty four to June thirteenth, twenty twenty four, and that's off the back of another ban he had last season because remember he got into that fight with. Michael Hernandez uh, previous season, and that had a five month ban. So he's on, he's on his second ban um, from racing. Um, what? Where, yeah. What's 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 Goss on it? What what are we? What's the take? I mean, his reaction was his his reaction was basically no reaction. It was no apology. It was he was pretty much radio silent on it, just posting his usual, you know, you fighting on, and you know. We're, we're amazing and just posted that sort of stuff and then um, that's it pretty much. It's it's kind of a – it's an interesting PR move of never apologize, never admit fault, just just car- just whatever. We just keep carrying on uh, and that's his approach. It's, it's kind of a – I don't know if I dislike it or kind of like weird respect for it of just, just – I'm just carrying on, fight the good – I kind of feel like we have to set aside the the incident itself chat because I like we weren't in the race and bike camera footage. I've been caught up in this in the past with guys in our team. Bike camera footage can be so misleading in terms of an actual incident happening in front of you because the the camera that is filming the incident is also moving and that really throws a complete perspective issues out. Ask Chris Powell all about that. Um, so as far as the incident itself goes, I'll kind of leave that to to them. Well, I mean, he's uh, had a 60-day ban for dangerous riding. Yeah. He is guilty of dangerous riding, so I don't – No, I mean like – Like he, 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 he did it. Yes. He rode a guy into the gutter. Yes. I don't think there's any <laughs> – like there's only so many ways. Yeah, oh, he's guilty, so I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but what I find really interesting about this is – and this is – Okay, we're, we're two guys in Australia talking about crit racing in America. Like rewind six or seven years. I didn't know there was crit racing in America, let alone talk about incidents that are happening in it. And what's changed in those six years? What's the one reason we now pay attention to US crits? Well, Legion. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so it's – I okay, I'm starting to get – kind of cynical about this in the sense that to keep the buzz going, we've got to keep the fight going. Like, you, yeah. you know, I mean, okay. at this, at this, I'm not saying, I'm not saying, uh-huh. but 
Because here, here again, coming, coming into another thing with, with teams and stuff, like if shit like this was happening consistently with a team that we were running, you wouldn't have sponsors. You wouldn't have them. They would, they would quite happily exist. And certainly sponsors that are portraying you in this image of like bringing everyone into the sport, okay, and yeah. being, being this great adv- adv- advocate for it. Mm-hmm. Not only do their sponsors do that, they're like they're doubling down on it. So, like, you know, the, the sponsorship that they have with Rafa, there is almost millions of dollars involved in that with the foundation that's come into play with that. So, you know, big names, specialized, Oakley, you name a fucking big brand, they're involved in this, in this team. And none of them are in any way bothered by this. It is interesting. And yeah, I'm there yeah. going, well, if none of you are bothered, well, maybe this is the friggin' game plan. And then we're talking about his reaction to this, which is kind of like, ah, carry on, carry on. I don't know. They're trying to bring us down. That's, I mean, that's one of the reactions I've seen a lot is people saying, how do they still have sponsors? Your writers, you're on your second ban. There's been multiple incidents have come up. How, why do the sponsors not have any response to this at all? Which is an interesting question. But does it not really matter because they're so good dollar-wise for the marketing that, and so good for, for, from a diversity perspective, from a marketing point of view, that they've, I mean, they seem to be able to get away with, with a lot and the brands don't seem to care. I, I, isn't that a smart decision yeah, from the brands? Because yeah. they have so many eyeballs. Yeah. What do you... I mean, yeah. Yeah, they I, you can get angry, but it works. I'm on the Rafa Australia site. Yeah. I just typed in Rafa, hit, hit return. There's his face, main page, Justin Williams. It's like, cool, you know. Yeah. So, uh, you know, then there's a whole other thing, like the per- people logging into this Rafa stuff wouldn't, don't even have any sort of reaction to it. Mm. Um, and, yeah, so... Where do you kind of stand on it then? Because you've got two camps. You've got the the sponsors should have some sort of punishment or at least some sort of reaction to the fact that the team you're sponsoring has riders convicted of dangerous riding multiple times. Or are you in the, they get a lot of eyeballs, they're a marketing massive success, carry on. I, I, I'm, yeah, I, I have flip-flopped on this. <laughs> multiple times and it goes deeper than that as well because yeah. like their image and you you discuss this with Jeff when he was on their image is based a lot of the time on this kind of rough and tumble like hard men of the sport you know any any footage you see or any like of those little videos that Rafa does or specialized do with them it shows this like cutthroat world of US crit racing so that's their image it's like i don't know uh, Guys, guys getting suspended here in Australia or in sports in the in the US for dangerous tackles, and they get suspended at the tribunal, and they're back a couple of weeks later, and no one, you know, no sponsors necessarily pull out of a team because one of their players does a head high tackle, mm. you know. So I mean, so, so what what's worse, doping or dangerous riding? Mm, good question. I just thought of this then because I thought, okay, what would get a sponsor to just Ditch a team, we're gone, absolute, wipe, wipe the hands of it. Would be a, well, actually, that's bullshit because there's heaps of teams with positive doping. Te- anyway, I'll carry on with my train of thought. Yeah. So you, is it worse to dope and cheat but technically not harm anyone or be convicted of dangerous riding and getting into fights multiple times? 
Because it feels like it's it's fine to be a dangerous rider and be aggressive in racing, literally fist fight aggressive. That's okay, but you can't don't dope because that's cheating. Even though technically that doesn't harm well, it harms people, but it doesn't physically harm them. So um, from a from a public image standpoint, definitely would be dope, doping. No two ways about it. But from a rider's perspective, I reckon if you ask the other people in that race or who are normally racing Legion week in, week out, they'd say, you know what? I don't care if they're doing APO, all good. Well, not all good, but less of an issue than the guy trying to fuck me into the friggin' barrier over there. That's a far more immediate danger to my life than him with an extra 15 watts on his threshold, you know? So, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's To me... I kind of feel like a spectator in this. And that's almost like I didn't want to really talk about it much last week because the incident, whatever. But just the whole way this plays out, it's like it's totally new to our sport, really. And I'm fully the uh, Michael Jackson meme with this. Like, yeah, with the where, where does this play out over the next sort of, yeah, next 12 months? Totally. I actually don't care. I'll just go <laughs> on Reddit and I read 100 comments of people reacted to it. I'm like, oh, this is kind of fun. But it doesn't really affect doesn't me, so well, yeah, whatever. No. Carry no. on. And quick update: Justin still has blocked me, so we I haven't been able to to get a, a, any a, any one on one info yet. Cycling YouTube. This is a funny one to bring up because there's so many little bubbles of cycling YouTube that I say cycling YouTube, and someone's like, "Who the hell are you talking about?" But we're just we're going to talk about the ones that we know and screw all the others. And I'm going to prove that point to you <laughs> in a matter of moments. But yeah, go on. Yeah. So let's go through a few, few examples, some channels that I would say are, are, are dying off or aren't performing as they were before for a multitude of reasons. Not necessarily it's anyone's fault. It's just interesting to look at. So when I got in, Cam Jeffers was the freaking guy. He was the man, the cycling YouTuber. He got all the views. He was sort of the center of that road cycling slash racing universe. And now he still uploads videos that don't get anywhere near the amount of views and they're all kind of random. I don't know. I'm on his channel. I'm kind of some challenge things, some equipment things. It's just lost his – unfortunately, it feels like he's lost his way a little bit. I, I, I don't agree that he's lost his way. I think it's just the lifespan of this stuff, right? And, and any time we talk about YouTube, the immediate sort of reaction to people is, oh, the boring, but talk about – no. Like this is, this is the platform where we consume most of the sport, so shut up. Um. But with him, right, it's a, just a natural tra like trajectory of where he was going. So he was making almost daily videos about his, him cycling, his, him riding his bike, which ultimately led him to like a continental level team. And you watch the kind of the, the, the drop off of his stuff was as soon as the, the riding part became a little bit more serious and he's trying to make it, make it, quote unquote, you kind of saw the content drop off. It was less sort of amateurish. And so... Just the pure frequency of the stuff wasn't wasn't there, so people kind of drop out of the the daily thing. At the same time, the the YouTube algorithm doesn't appreciate that as much. the The daily stuff, the daily vlog, you've probably seen it yourself, just isn't as consumed as it used to be. And also, like, it's not very good money. Like, he's not making. If you go back to and even though he was kind of big. He was probably still only getting sort of 10, 15,000 views per episode. So it's not like he was making bank on this stuff. And ultimately then you get to a point where, you know, I don't think he kind of cracked it in, in the sort of pro scene. 
So, all right, I haven't cracked it in a pro scene, uh, the cycling thing, that kind of kept me going for a bit with the YouTube stuff, but oh, shit. And then he went through this phase where he's trying to do like like big challenge stuff. Like I'll ride up the the street, I'll take a (laughs) Boris bike up Vontu. I'm not sure if that's one he did anyway. (laughs) That's a good idea though. Yeah, good idea. Um, So stuff like that. And that's only kind of got a sort of short enough timeline on it. And I don't want to sound too like defeatist about it, but it is that like that individual creator. I know um, Tommy, like cycling to tourists, is sort of trying to do it a bit at the moment, but it's a it's a slog. Like there's no unless a brand comes along, like someone like Tyler, a brand comes along and goes, okay, well, we'll essentially support you that you can go and make that stuff. Then it's not many places to do it. Mm, yeah. I mean, I, I just get kind of nostalgic with it because you look at his, you go back and look. At, I looked at his channel now. I was like, wow, this is not, this is not the Cam Jeffers that I had in my head back in the day. And he, because he, maybe because he tried to do the racing, then the channel halted. He didn't get the Francis Cade mm. sort of just kick on, kick on, kick on, and then suddenly it's like a media business. Um, so he's he's one. We're not gonna let's not dwell on that too long. He's just one that came to mind. The other one that came to mind to me is actually Dylan Johnson. To me. It's just his channel has died a little bit because all he really makes now is gravel race videos, which is its own thing. It's probably a t- totally different audience to what it was. The views on the gravel race recap videos are generally not as good as the the good training ones. Um, and then he does some equipment-based ones. But, yeah, it's, it's like Dylan Johnson now. It's um, just – He's, he's, he's yeah, just a gravel pro gravel racer yeah. and he makes some videos every now and again. But you said <laughs> it. Like I, I reckon I've watched every Dylan Johnson video for the last three years. I reckon. I'm pretty sure I've seen them all. And they're great. They're brilliant. But I don't need to see any more <laughs> because I, I've seen the video about strength training. I've seen the video about intervals. I've seen the video about, uh, yeah, you know what I'm saying. And I don't. Where do you where do you continue to take? I mean, obviously, if there's a new development in low testosterone in cyclists, maybe he will revisit the subject. But it's not like you can kind of just continue to to do that. I would say in Dylan's case, it appears less like his channel is dying, like Cam's Jeff's channel sort of died there. It's just that he's gone a different path with the ra- focusing on the racing and the channel sort of following that. But actually, as you've brought up it is does appear kind of well timed because there's only so many training videos he can make and he's kind of done the most of them so that's probably a success but from a me as a youtube viewer it's a bit of a decline because it's not the content i want true that's it if if he uploads a race recap i'm still kind of interested in watching it do you watch them do you watch them yeah yeah i do okay yeah no i do watch them and more because I am kind of interested in the scene, like who, who rides, how are these races being won? Like, I, that does actually interest me. And there's a real shortage of that content. I mean, in the chat I had with Tyler, I thought that was a great idea. Put GoPros on all the top 20 guys' bikes. They all have the same disadvantage and let's put something together. Because ultimately I'm not seeing anything of these guys and I'm sort of having to rely on Hopefully Dylan Johnson makes the front split and we get to see some footage of it. Like, um, but like, okay, so there's guys like, and I've mentioned him a few times, like Ed uh, Laverick in in Wales, and he's kind of doing the Cam Jeffers thing, right? You know, he's 
I don't know how regularly, but semi-regularly. It follows his training. It follows him preparing for events. And, you know, they're nice cycling vlog videos. I watch a few of them, but it's that thing of, and you don't have to, if you miss one, you don't have to watch it. It's not like, oh, shit, I missed Ed's video. And that's not a comment on the stuff he's making. It's just that's that style of thing that it has that effect. And for the creator itself, for himself or herself, it's like you know, it's, a, it's a slog. I mean, you know, six or seven hours sometimes to make each of these videos. Can I be positive though? Or do you, or do you want to stay negative for a bit? I don't think it's – I didn't think this was that negative no, no, of a no, chat. No, no. Come on. I did have one more. Yeah, 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 and this is probably the, bi- the biggest downfall that I've seen is um, Charles Wee May. Yep. Um, this has been pretty sh- a pretty sharp decline. He did a really good series of videos about six months ago with the, t- the EF uh, training camp videos. They were pretty successful, which was good. But since then, um, this is another case of just, yeah, you- YouTube – create a drop-off it mm-hmm. just seems like he stopped making videos but i have seen he does he looks like he's moved more into doing instagram reels so providing content for the audience on instagram but as a someone that watches cycling youtube he hasn't really made any videos that i've been interested in in the last about six months so just another one where you just all these guys that were filling up my feed let's say let's say two years ago they've it's almost cut in half now these are just a few examples of of guys um, for a multitude of different reasons, but there doesn't l- appear to be that many people filling the filling the gaps, at least in my space. Creators not making the right content and all the audience are going, yeah, I've seen all this. Or is it the burnout of the creator like I originally thought? Like is everyone just making the wrong stuff, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I mean – I'm just sort of trying to play devil's advocate on it because I keep coming at it from the, oh, no, it's just hard making videos and then, then therefore don't give out about it. But then I may, maybe, maybe it is that everyone's just making the wrong stuff. Like, so I stumbled across, across this guy called Greg McCann and he and his partner, uh, now this will never have ever come across your, I can so guarantee this is, this is like the anti-Jesse Coyle Video. Maybe that's harsh. I don't know. But it's himself and his partner, Victoria, and they are basically riding from um, Alaska to Argentina. He's set no time on this. It's, you know, four or five years. He's only uploaded 14 videos and he's got 56,000 subscribers. Yeah, awesome <laughs> video. These are, these are the best bikepacking videos, creator bikepacking, like not no friggin' brand on this, no follow crew. This is a dude and his partner like making epic films with their phone and a GoPro whilst the stuff they are going through. He's like, like in Siberia. I've sat and watched this with <laughs> my two girls and because like there's bears and all kinds of stuff in it, it's it's like a National Geographic um, documentary come um, cycling like YouTube thing. I, I wow. absolutely love it. He doesn't need a shout out because he's killing it and he's probably somewhere – huddled under a cave in the desert at the moment. So I doubt he's ever going to see this. But, you know, this stuff, my point is maybe maybe there's this whole thing of like everything has to be more dangerous and more epic, you know, GCN are great for it, you know, the hardest ride ever, you know, all that kind of stuff. This guy's stuff, he's not selling that. He's just saying going from here to here. <laughs> and – 
the genius is in the story. It, it's not. It doesn't need death. Day. Can I just say though? I just technically this isn't cycling YouTube. Okay. That's my only thing because this. I actually watch these types of videos, but from their, their guys that might be doing camping or well travel and things like this looks like it's probably pulling more of those views. I wouldn't think there's many, the crossover of bubbles between what we would think is cycling YouTube, gravel and road, and this is very small. I don't know if this counts. It's almost too adventure related. I'll accept that. I'll accept that comment. Yeah, I mean, I have no comeback to it, uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, you could be right. In fact, you probably are right. How did you actually find this? Because you said you said this is something you're liking. Do, I mean, how the hell did you find this? Do you not find a lot of bikepacking stuff comes up? So I, I just get a lot of bikepacking stuff appears in my feed. And it was, it was only because most of them have like 400 views and I don't ever look at them. The one came across that had like half a million views or something, 200,000. I was like, what's this? And that's, that's actually how it sort of came across me. Yeah. It's potentially not just the cycling YouTube is dying off. It's, there appears to be a bit of a reshuffle. So you've got for Ch Charles Rumay, for example, he's gone, ah, YouTube videos aren't really clicking. The reels are doing well. I'm just going to spend more time doing reels. Then you've got that Roadman cycling podcast who had been just uploading to the podcast platforms is like, I'm coming onto YouTube. And now he's part of my YouTube algorithm. And the um, the guy that was doing the Instagram reels, I, he has a 360 camera in the UK. Yeah, um, yeah, I pointed him out the other week. Yeah. yeah um, yes. A a Alex? Alex. Alex. Uh, what's his name? Hold on. Yeah, Alec um, Briggs. Mm-hmm. So he's now on YouTube doing commentary stuff. So it's just a sort of a musical chairs. It feels like guys are just trying out different things if it's not working, which I guess is fine. It's just for whatever reason it feels like more often than not the people making YouTube videos are choosing to go elsewhere, mm -hmm. not the other way around. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Actually, I hadn't looked at it that way. Yeah, so what do you think, guys? Um like your death of YouTube, I think, is is taking a little bit too far. But interested to know sort of what's coming up in your feed that's different that you are liking, or what is the stuff that is the same old, same old that you're just not clicking on anymore. Are we looking at handing the baton of Australia's premier sprinter mm. to Caden Groves? Are we at that point? I mean, well, it's well, well, Wellsford's so, a better sprinter. Come on, Wellsford. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, let me frame that a different way. If there's a, if there is a Grand Tour sprint stage, and you can only pick one sprinter, Australian has to be an Australian sprinter to save your life. Yeah. Who, are you, who are you betting? Wellsford. Well, who are you picking? Probably going recency bias. Not Caleb. I'm probably going. I'm no. I'm probably going Caden. If they're all on the same teams, I'm probably going gross. Okay. All right. Yeah. It's which so okay. I know I know Caleb's talked about hopefully uh, hopefully Caleb I'd, uses this as right. like, oh, there's two dickheads. You know, and he comes out <laughs> and wins everything next year. Sure he's watching. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, <laughs> but I still I still think and maybe I'm deluded, but Caleb's talked about this thing like how there's different sort of levels of sprinter. There's the sprinter who could just go and win a sprint, and then there's the Dionese really, who just sort of sits in and can kind of get you at the get you at the last bit. I still feel that probably maybe out of the three, 
Caleb's the only you are. What was that? No, is it, he's a no. I think Caleb's no? a, an out and out. Just win it from the front. Okay. Mm. Whereas okay. the other two, maybe I'm going to be proved wrong. But I still, yeah, I'm not quite. Haven't quite made that next leap yet. With the, the weird, other two. One, the weird thing, Caden Groves does in his sprints is he looks like he's about to sit up, and he's sort of looking around. And he's like, am I going to get on the wheel? Am I not? Am, am I going? Am I, I'm like half in the draft. And then he just keeps going and going and eventually wins. It's, he never – I don't know what what the what he's looking for or what he's looking at, but he never seems to be like really drilled on. It's just – maybe he's so fit that he's kind of just floating. Did you ever consider – okay, maybe, again, I'm off. I've lost the plot. But did you ever consider him an out-and-out out sprinter? Like when he was racing here – I always thought he was just a weapon. I suppose yeah. maybe it's just because everyone's a bit lower. But he wasn't just like, oh, they've got Caden so they'll win the sprint. Mm. This was St. George I think he was on at the time. Yeah. He might have been on someone else for another. But it was like he was just a threat, just a general threat from anywhere and everywhere, <laughs> right? And so it never kind of dawned to me. And then when he starts winning and he's getting picked on World Tour teams as a sprinter, I'm like, are we sure? And that's probably why, you know? <laughs> but he is he does climb better than you know, Gronewagen, mm. for example. Um, but I can't remember if it was if it was him or if it was Jensen Plowright. It was it, I it think was I've Caden had a, Groves. It was Caden Groves, because we're remembering the same thing. I I I think I have I've had similar experiences on Jensen Plowright's wheel, but same with Caden. It was a Grafton in Varel, like halfway up Gibraltar, and we're both there as people who would consider themselves climbers just like crying from our eyeballs. <laughs> and you think, who are these chunky dudes legs in front of me? How is he still here? And it's, yeah, it's, it's bloody Caden Groves doing I, 400 watts, 20 minutes into a climb. And you're going, aren't you meant to be a sprinter? Like what the, what's going on here? Yep. Uh, yeah. 2018. I remember that very, very well. Yes. And it, it was just, yeah, that was a real mind fuck. I remember just sitting there going, why is this? Happening to me. Doesn't look right. Yeah. Your legs are huge. Yeah. How are you going this fast? Yeah. Yeah. He's certainly a Jensen had similar sort of ability. Uh, yeah. Super strong. I mean, not all sprinters are like that. that no. He's special. What I want to see, though, is with the Aussies, because you've got Wellsford on um, DSM. What I want to see is Oz Cycling make a team. Make a, this is, I'm, I'm totally pulling this out of my ass, but Oz Cycling fund a world to a team. And then get the band back together. Ah. So get get uh get uh what's his name? Edmondson. Uh, he's already on DSM, but so get Edmondson, get uh Scotson back from whatever team he's on now, yep. get Kell O'Brien back, mm -hmm. Wellsford. I reckon get Durbo in there. Right? Cool. Get get you know, get all the big horses together, put them on one team. I'm sick of going, oh, Jaco's doing a good lead out, but I don't want their sprinter to win. And then I hope DSM have a shit lead up, but they don't want Wells for doing it. I want to see them all together. Let's let's see. Can we make that happen, please? I've done my Jayco rant. That was a few months ago where I just don't know what it is anymore. Like it seems like a directionless semi-Italian team. Like how is that How is that value for money for Jerry Ryan? Like surely he'd be better off just fully Aussieing it up and just going back to that. I don't know. I just, yeah. Get them, yeah, get them, get them all on one team and they can do, do a tour to France back Back to a um, like a almost like a Renshaw esque uh, nostalgic play there. I'd like to see that. Like just cheering for 
cheering for a rider or cheering for for a team just for out of pure patriotism. Like you saw it a bit with the Sepp Kuss stuff. Like yeah. guys just like people just saying, I'm just supporting Sepp because he's American. I'm like, I love that. I just I haven't felt that for so long. So I don't know, maybe that's a good way of doing it. But it'd be so much stronger if you had multiple guys because mm. you're kind of half cheering for all different teams. It's like, can we get them together? Yep. And I reckon that'd be, yeah, that'd be, that'd be awesome. I came on here and aired my dirty laundry about spitting chewing gum out, mm. which I've self-corrected. But we're, we're better than runners. City Marathon last weekend, you can follow the course just by following gel wrappers for 42 kilometres. It's insane. <laughs> Absolutely crazy. And it's also quite a fascinating insight into what gel brands are hot right now. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm happy to get into that, but can I have a bit of a whinge about this too? Yeah. Just like I was – I think this has shocked everyone. Like, okay, if an event, a cycling event had happened and there was two – Us versus them, let's go. Well, yep. I just feel <laughs> – Yeah, yeah, no, I see. I don't know who I feel let down here by. I, I don't actually blame the runners. I don't know what it's like to be in a run. I don't know what the facilities were like. I don't know whether that was made clear to people that I'm normally big for personal responsibility about everything, but I don't know enough about that particular circumstance to say, to just blame every runner for chucking it on the ground. Maybe it was like the NRS in 2017 where that was kosher. It was cool. I feel I don't even need this chucking on the ground. Um, and that's like that shift has changed dramatically. But I do feel like almost that it just shows how weak almost we are as a sport, that, that if, if there was one or two gel wrappers on the road, we, just that wouldn't happen. Our, our whole event would be completely called off. This was just an, a literal like trash can everywhere and there's not one person questioning whether this event will ever happen again. It's 100% happening. So I don't know. I don't know who I'm let down by, but I just feel let down. Maybe it's a cycling sort of advocacy body or something. I also don't quite understand. Have you attempted to clean it up? Yeah. Because if you have and that's what's left, what the freaking hell did it look like on the day? This is Wednesday. Were people just running on gel wrappers? Mm. Because there's that many left over. It looks like there's almost been no attempt to actually clean it up. Fact. And it wouldn't be that hard because the whole I was there on Sunday morning. The whole thing was buried in. It doesn't mm. take rocket science to just go through and pick them up. It's fascinating. Yeah, it's, pretty, it's pretty nuts. Quite interesting. Um, but, yeah, coming back to the – so there was two for me that have just cut through. Now, I think Goo – I did have a bit of a look at this. Goo were involved with actually the – so they were at the aid stations. Okay. So that that's kind of an obvious one. So Goo was everywhere on the ground. Um, and the other one, Morton. My God. The amount of Mortons I've seen. And that, I don't know how you feel about that, but like I'm blown away by that because. A relatively new player. I mean, if you're not having Morton, you're a povo. Mm. What are you even bothering showing up for? Honestly. Right. It's crazy. And it's it's like the they're obviously selling themselves on being like pure performance and they charge as pure performance, but that's cut through at the like pure punter runner level that, oh, I need that fuel to get me through this event. Like it's, it's gone of the days of just like, oh, whatever, I'll, every gel is the same thing to any punter. Now it's like, oh, I need the Morton because it's got this ratio of that. Like everyone's clued into that level, even at the, the sort of punter runner level. Morton Australia, box of 12 for $60. But they've got you. Like I'm doing uh, Masters Nationals this weekend. It, it's... 
it's got into me. You know, I couldn't just go with a goo gel or an SIS gel. It's only a two-hour race as well. Like I'm, I'm like, yeah, they've they've got you. Oh, can I just one last little whinge about gels? Can we just get rid of the gel that has this innocuous, irrelevant level of caffeine in it? There's the the 20 milligrams of caffeine gel. Yeah. What is this? What are you doing to me? Like, I don't need you. Mm-hmm. I want a caffeine gel. And I don't want us to be able to see straight. A hundred minimum. Minimum. I mean, what I are you doing with 75? 75 doesn't Grow bother a pair. me. <laughs> I don't want to <laughs> see straight with this stuff. Or just carbs. I don't want anything in between. I, I Maybe I'm not the right market. I don't know who is getting. Do people realize that 25 milligrams is like, what are you? <laughs> the day you start questioning why they put some ingredients in gels, you'll drive yourself insane. There's ones with like, we've got one amino acid in this gel. Like It's just, you, you'll drive yourself mad. But I totally agree. I mean, what what is 55 milligrams of caffeine doing? It's just, if I want caffeine, I'm not going to use it. And then if I'm just training, why would I want 50 milligrams of caffeine? It's, yeah, it's really strange. (laughs) But they've been like that forever. Yeah. Other random one for you. Are waxed chains just mainstream now? Is that, is that done? Is that, is that officially now happened? Is the, been riding for a couple of years, like just waxing chain? I, I think it was the done thing. I think it's gone out of fashion. Oh. Yep. Mm-hmm. Wow. I remember back in 2018, 2019. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we had guys overseas bringing crock pots and uh, coat hangers uh, and the pot of wax. Like that was, and that was five years ago. No yeah. one does that now because the drip lubes are That's my good. point. I, I feel like that. That wax has now cut through mainstream. Which wax? The drip, the drip, the UFOs, the silkers. That's, that's not a wax chain. Oh, okay. Oh, what are you? Are you no, saying? No, I'm, I'm saying that is a wax chain. So a oh. wax lubricant. Oh, chain. okay. I see what you mean. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, who's running oil? That's what uh, I do mean. Do people still run oil? That's yeah. That was my question. Do people still run oil? Like it's <laughs> it's filthy. Like I don't what, know. is it is it better in wet weather? People in the you, UK would they run oil? Oh, I'm sick of saying stuff and then someone from the UK says, it's like we can't say anything anymore because like someone in the UK will get offended and be like, oh, you don't have to ride in the rain. Like, okay, special fella, you're in the UK, you get to use your wet lube. We get it. If you don't ride in the rain every day, I, I don't know many people that are, that consciously consider their lube choices that still use a, a greasy wet lube. I don't think... But there are some people that really love cleaning their bike, so they prefer using the wet lube because they get to do the whole degreasing process. You used to be. I in that used camp. to be that person to until I realised I was wasting like, the majority of my Instagram, life. On Instagram, on a Sunday, it's like bike clean day. Bike clean day. Like, what the hell's wrong with you? I've got I've got a bike clean to do at home now, which I'm dreading because I got this is I should never talk about tubeless on this show because I got a frigging flat today and it was a proper like it's sealed. Oh, actually, I got two stories from this. Okay. Um, the first is I'm riding along and suddenly I'm feeling wet on the back of my legs and it's like, oh, I'm sweating up here. This is a bit of a worry until I then turned and realised that this was, this was the messiest slop fest I've ever seen back there. It was a proper 
like fish type <laughs> going everywhere. <laughs> yes. So anyway, I pull in and so it's all over me. I let the let the air down enough so I can get the thing out. And this guy who's riding around pulls in and goes, oh, hey, Chris, um, talks about the show, the, re- the rest of it. And he's there and I, he's a new new guy cycling. I asked him a bit about his own bike and he's, oh, yeah, I've got Soloist, et cetera. He's my first main bike, et cetera. And then he's watching me and I'm, I've got what looks like a needle and I'm shoving it in my tyre and he's like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm fixing my tyre. He's like, what? I'm like, yeah, I'm fixing my tyre. I've got a flat. He's like, you're putting a hole in it. it <laughs> hey, he had never seen anything like this in his life yeah. and he stayed and watched me do it, like shoved it in, then s- smashed it with a CO2, sealed, all good, spun the wheel, off we went. He, his mind was blown by this particular circumstance. And I asked him, do you know what's in your wheels? He had no idea. No not, idea. Not sure. Absolutely I think not. we need a plug awareness program. Plug awareness. What's Dyna plug? They should run an advertising campaign for cyclists of do you know what a plug is? Because it's it's such a good tool. And I, I would what percentage of people out on a Sunday with a tubeless setup are riding around without a Dyna plug or some sort of plugging tool? Eighty percent. You reckon? Eighty percent. Yep. Yep. It's madness. Yep. You'd ne- I don't know how you can what do you put a tube in? I guess I, I don't even carry a tube. Yeah, I just, no, neither. Yeah, we've been over this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, we need a pl- we need, yeah plug awareness. Yep, I think needs to be done. He, this guy was absolutely confused by the whole you're putting a hole in something to to seal it. Um, yeah. So anyway, he probably also would have been a bit surprised because I don't know if the the audience know if we've discussed this before, but Chris actually carries um, a little kit in his saddlebag. We have have we discussed? I don't know if we have. Yeah. So if, if you ever if you ever riding with Chris Miller and there's a mechanical or a chain comes off or a flat tire, sets himself up, opens a saddlebag. Yep, surgical gloves come on, and and we're in. So he's not touching that with his bare hands. There is also uh, possibly some sanitizer going on after the gloves are removed, and and that's a nice little so setup. So quick update: uh, the gloves have gone. The baby wipes have remained. Uh, because this is uh, comes back to the wax chain thing. So there's no there's no grease and grit. The only stuff that you get on your hands really is the latex now, and that just needs a little little freshening afterwards, and you move on. In fact, I'm tempted to even ditch that at this point because it's such a relatively grease free experience. The whole the whole flat, but you know, you just need to create a scene. You know, get yourself in the right environment. It's a safe the space. Safe space. Yeah. Yeah, yeah just enjoy yeah. it. Mm. It was actually pretty pro move the first time I saw that pulled over. <laughs> I was like, probably on my phone, I look over and you've got like gloves on <laughs> and baby wipes laid out. It's like, wow, this is this is a setup. Surgical operation. All right, guys, thanks so much for watching. We will see you next week. Jesse, thanks to you for your time. Thank you. We'll see you real soon. See you next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 